Greetings, podcast listeners. New Model Advisor Editor Will Robbins here. The following episode is a section from a longer podcast recording with Amati Fund Manager Paul Jordan and futurist Mark Stevenson, made as part of our healthcare investment special. We got to talking about ESG investing, a trend that enjoyed a new lease of popularity in 2020. I asked Paul, whose fund does not market itself as an ethical, sustainable or impact fund, what he made of the trend and whether he might lose out by not having an ethical moniker. His quite honest response led us down an interesting rabbit hole. So without further ado, here is our conversation about ESG investing. The next point and and mark you're you're uh describing a way in which these in- incentives and chain and behaviors are driven uh centrally you know through the through the tax system um but one thing you know i wanted to move on to is to do with fund management not specifically healthcare but I mean, related obviously um is the uh phenomenon of the idea of, of of sustainable investment uh and this year, and I just, I just sort of since March, since May, even when we spoke in May, there's been a, a well, seemingly big change, a relatively big change within fund management, which is the this this uh, surge uh, of popularity of, of, of so-called ESG funds, so funds that are used of factor in environmental, social, and government criteria. These funds don't always work. You mentioned fashion, boohoo, uh, you know the, the the bad sort of practices at their factories in, in the UK, actually, not even further afield, were, were, were found to actually hit a number of funds that had that sort of an, an ESG label on this year. But nevertheless, um, they've, they've enjoyed a substantial inflows this year, millions, if not, if not billions, I think I've got the numbers to hand. Um, now, it's really interesting. I know it's as part of the bigger picture, it's still probably relatively small, but it's growing. It's, you know, we were talking about it all the time. The uh, European regulators are talking about it. The UN's talking about it. Uh, the G20 is talking about it. So, you know, uh, Paul, you know, tell me what if what do you make of of the revolution that's happening within your own industry at the moment? Well, um, some things about it I'm very very glad to see, and other things about it I'm I'm wary of, and I'll, I'll put a bit of colour on that. So, I'm I'm very glad that. Um, the, the whole topic of the ethics of investment, if you like, which is ESG at its core, um, is, is now being talked about. And, and this was not something that fund managers talked about when I came into the industry. Um, there were such things as ethical funds, but the way they worked was, you know, the fund management company would hire some people outside who were consultants to tell them what they could and couldn't invest in. And, you know, there's nothing ethical about that really. Um, Whereas now it's, it's kind of okay as a fund manager to say, well, actually I do have some ethical principles and I'm trying to describe them and say, well, these are the things that we bring to bear when we make our investment decisions and, and this is why. And I think that's incredibly healthy. Um, you know, I think where, where this becomes unhealthy is when the industry does what it's very good at doing and saying, well, we have to measure everything and we need to tick certain boxes and the regulator gets involved and says, well, if you're gonna call it this, you know, show me the evidence, show me what you're measuring, what boxes are you ticking, so I can come along and see whether you're doing it or not. And, um, you know, so in a sense, what if you make a kind of hard claim as a fund manager, you then have to go and look for something you can back it up with. And, and for me, the problem with that is that what you then end up with is 
can be counterproductive and, and somewhat empty and actually ironically take away from the real conversation you should be having, which is the kind of conversation that you know we're having now where you're, you're actually exploring the issues, trying to make, come to a view over, well, how should this be done? And, and you're, you're making ethical decisions. And actually the industry is still a little bit uncomfortable with that word ethical. Um, and because you know that seems a little bit too in your face and is that gonna compromise my returns? And you know, does that mean I can't just go and sort of do whatever I like and rampantly profit from whatever's in front of me? Um, well, the answer to that is yes, it does mean that. And, and so, but on the other hand, you know, the, the ethics of investment, I think, work in such a way that if you, if you have some principles, it broadly works in your favor. And, and, and because, you, you know, the, the, the kind of companies which tend to do the best are the ones which have the highest standards. And that in terms is also includes in terms of the way they behave internally. And, you know, so in a way I can characterize this following on from your Boohoo example. You know, we, we were an investor in Boohoo at one point. And back in 2018, we started asking them company questions about the supply chains. And it's not that we got answers that told us that the company was doing anything wrong because we weren't in a position to do a load of investigative journalism, but we got answers which we just didn't feel were satisfactory. So we ended up selling the stock. And not because we had low, uh, ticking hundreds of boxes and they didn't happen to tick all those boxes, but just because we had an uneasy feeling about it. And I thought, well, you know, we don't want to hold a business where it turns out that, um, you know, they could be accused of paying below minimum wage or, you know, we, I, do, I don't want to be investing in companies where I'm profiting from, um, if not slave labor, then near slave labor. And, you know, it's just not how I want to make a return as an investor. Um, and then, you know, in 2020, when the whole issue then blew up, it turns out that a lot of funds who'd made a big deal of, of having, you know, some kind of label, uh, whatever that label happened to be, who had big teams behind them ticking lots of boxes, uh, didn't pick up that Boohoo was maybe questionable. And, and you wouldn't do because there isn't a box that was going to get ticked. This is about forming a judgment. And, and in, in a way, it's one reason why we don't use a label on our fund. It's, it's not because we're not interested in the ethics of investment. We deeply are. It's just that I don't see, well, I think you should be able to buy any fund in the market and, and know that the person running that fund will have principles in how they're investing um, and, and should be investing as a kind of responsible citizen of the country they're in and taking into account all the implications of what they're doing. Um, and that should be just a kind of baseline requirement. It's not um, that that should be an extra thing that you only get if you kind of order the thing with special sauce. You know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah, so that's... That's and I want to bring Mark in on this, but just just on that, last, just to catch on one one point there, Mark. Do you, uh, Paul, do you think do you think that without not putting a label on your fund, that you'll end up you're going to start miss, missing out? You're going to have some sort of frustrating, you know, uh, things things happen because people are going to start wanting to, you know, the way the industry works, include fund on a portfolio or look or screen out a fund, and they're going to be looking to tick these boxes or look for something that has a particular name. And if you're saying, well with nothing written into our constitution in, as a fund that's, that points, that says that there's drawing red lines, you know, you can trust me, I'm an ethical guy, <laughs> you know, um, have great stories to tell, but you well, might lose out from, from this. You might, would it not be advantageous to yeah. say, well, this is, let's just put some of these things in writing. Well, you know, bandwagons are always very tempting to jump on. I mean, I, 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 I think my other wariness of it is that I don't, what I don't want to do is either get involved in kind of virtue signaling and, or pretending that we've got all the answers and also pretending that our views won't change on some of these subjects. 
because you know I, I think it's actually really important that managers learn as they go on and you know, we, we're learning about the world the whole time and it you know our, our the way we deal with some of these issues will change things are not set in stone and we don't have perfect vision of of the, the these are difficult judgments and, and you know the way we deal with them will evolve and insofar as you know we want to put a label on our fund I want the label to be Amati that that should be you know the, the branding has behind it how we try and do business and I, I think that that kind of has to be enough really just um Mark, I'm going to bring you in, but just speaking to, for our, the advisor audience, they have a hell of a task <laughs> ahead of them because I know a lot of them want a tool to spit something out, some data, or just to have data, not necessarily to rely on a tool slavishly, but just to have something where they can have data and, and analytics on something. And the way, and actually, if you're saying, well, look, the truth of it is a judgment, the truth of it is, is, is a sort of tradition, that may be more true than, than data, but it, but it's not, it's not compatible with, 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 with their, what, what they're going to need. So it's really tough. It's really tough. And I think, you know, a lot of advisors want to get this right. And they're really aware of box ticking. They don't want to be box tickers. Uh, and this is going to be real, really tough. Mark, though, you're itching to jump in. So I want, I want to give yeah, you the floor. Fundamental cultural problem with the investment industry, which is taking a game off from what, what Paul is saying, is that, you know, the idea that ESG is some kind of extra that you have to pay for, you know, that'd be like going to a doctor where, you know, having a medical degree is some kind of extra that you have to pay for. But, you know, I'll go to these other doctors because, you know, it's ridiculous that as, a, as, as investors who are supposed to be investing in the future of, you know, in all of our futures, don't as standard, as cost of entry, have this stuff baked in to the very core of who they are in their profession is absolutely fundamentally ridiculous. So ESG is way behind the curve of where it needs to be. That's just a hygiene factor. What we need is investment that is saying, basically, if, if these companies aren't advancing the sustainable development goals without harming any of the others, they're not actually actively improving you know, our future and therefore all our pensions and how we're gonna spend them in the world we're gonna live in, then they're pointless. So, you know, oh yeah, ESG, great. That's like saying, you know, as I say, it's, you know, it's like going to a doctor and saying, you know, are you a qualified doctor? Yes, I am. Fantastic. Right now, are you a really, really good doctor? Are you going to cure me? You know, it's, it, you know, this kind of, oh, well, isn't it wonderful that we're all embracing this? It's like, no, it's an absolute disaster. You have to figure that out. It's an absolute disaster that you didn't think this way in the first place. That you think somehow ethics and responsibility and morality are some kind of bonus extra for your profession? Get stuff. Get out of my face. I don't want you managing my investments if that's the kind of person you are. You don't deserve to hold the position of financial advisor if your financial advice is damaging the future in which my children are going to spend my inheritance. Get stuff. I find it most compelling when you talk about things like pension funds. And I think it's been popularised recently by David Attenborough. Uh, I say of all people, I don't mean of all people, but 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 of you know to to to, to have come from his mouth, so to speak, the, the man of, of such sort of stature in popular culture, you know, as, as, it, as it were, that he in his I think his Netflix documentary specifically talks about the what he thought was the irrationality of a pension fund specifically designed to provide for your future, undermining the basis on which that future is built. Yeah. At the same time. That seems to me a really easy argument. And maybe that's why these things, I, I, if I've got it right, got traction with some of the institutional investors first. 
there's another thing about where you know there's another question of what happens with with sort of retail investors who might say well it's you know it's a you know it's a, what if i'm if i i, I might i'm not i don't know i, I don't have that many uh, what am i going to change with my money i don't i don't know how long you know i'm not specifically investing for the future i don't know is there is, i mean what you i i, I buy into what you said i agree with most of what you're saying mark is there is there any kind of understanding do you have any understanding for someone who says well uh, you know let's 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 be you know you're because you're quite absolute you know what would you say for example i'll put it a little more clearly what would you say for example mark if someone says well, I want to continue investing in, in oil companies. You know, they pay these, these sort of very strong dividends that I need for my clients uh, because they're you know, producing income, for example. But anyway, they're the biggest investors in renewables in the world, you know, because of the billions that they pump in. Okay, you know, what, what I hear that a lot. I, I hear a lot. That the, the, so what would you say to that? Is there any compromise to be had or, or do we, you know, is it? Okay, so the first thing is don't use a fig leaf of uh, something else to cover up your moral failings for a start okay there's uh, and then there is a, a compromise and i think it's this you want the big institutional investors if they are run by people like paul who have a good moral ethical and future sense to be still holding some of those investments because they have the power and the influence built to change those companies at a board level and force them to start to embrace stuff and you've seen that happen in a lot of some of the, a lot of those companies but at the same token, you want your, I don't know, theatre's pension fund and you want individuals and you want universities to be divesting because they're sending a cultural signal. And there's two important things. You send a cultural signal, which is very strong. This is no longer acceptable. And then the big boys who actually know what they're doing when it comes to how they structure boards and do all the finance and, do, and all that kind of stuff. The pension funds go, we, you are only in here for so long unless you change your ways. Okay? And those two things together work very powerfully. Okay? Now, you, I don't think you can go to your mum and pop investor and kind of go, oh, you know, by investing in oil and gas, you're on the right side of history because you're influencing, uh, you know, the, the, the board level decisions of, of, of Shell or BP. You're not. Paul might be able to, and he should be doing it, and maybe some of the big pensions funds in a way. But, you know, you have to have this nuanced understanding. So I think it is, it is both. But what I see is a lot of laziness from people going, well, they do a good return, and my job is to get returns for people. It's kind of like, yeah, what, at the expense of their children's lives? No, thank you very much. Get a, a, a you know get a grown up attitude. See the system. You're supposed to be a financial advisor, which you should be thinking in systems. If you're not thinking in systems, you don't deserve the title of financial advisor. You deserve the title of somebody who is a narrow, siloized, profiteering idiot who doesn't understand his own grandchildren's future. Well, I think that's where there is such an interesting challenge, opportunity, prospect for advisors this in this coming year is that they have that you in some ways unique or, or privileged position as someone who who talks to clients has that how they own the client relationship I think it's the way it's often put is they they own the client relationship they have that client relationship and that's just not that's a that's a very unique as many levers that, as there are in the financial system in, in, in investment fund markets that that is a unique lever among them um, that, that drives the, those behaviors and it's, and it's a very uh, important point that Paul made earlier which is actually companies that behave better generally outperform the market. And, you know, the National Bureau of Economic Research, a great report on this, and they concluded this saying, you know, companies, you know, that take sustainability and stuff like this seriously outperform the market, both in terms of accounting performance and stock market performance. So it's a win-win, you know. It's not an either-or. It's like, oh, you, you, you can only have these funds. No, it's a win-win. You, know, you know, I'm not an expert investor like 
like Paul did, but I do it. I do invest, and my alpha was thirty percent. Okay, and not because I'm a genius or an expert. I just, you know, have this idea that you know companies that solve the world's problems and are run responsibly and treat their staff well are probably the best ones to invest in long term. I mean, it's not rocket science. So it's not an either or. You can have your returns, and increasingly you get more and more returns as governments around the world, particularly with Biden coming in, going to increasingly legislate in this direction anyway. You know, you've been an idiot investor. So, you know, look at what's happened to Exxon at the moment. Nobody wants their stock. Nobody wants to own the apocalypse. They're in real trouble. Oil and gas companies are, are, are falling on their asses all over the world at the moment. So, you know, it's, 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 it's just a false argument. It doesn't work on any level. Really interesting. All right. Just, well, just, just, one last word from you, Paul. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, no, I'm, 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 I'm appreciating a lot of what Mark said. And, I, and actually, I think the way you put that about having different kinds of investors taking different approaches um, is actually really important because, you know, there is also what we don't want to do as a, as a kind of, um, um, society, you know, fund managers and investors in general are in the business of allocating capital. And, you know, we have a system that the beauty of a market in a way is that it is sufficiently complex that, you know, a whole range of different views can get expressed in the market. And that's, it's actually fundamentally important to a market that they work like that. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the one of the dangers here is that you know, when you have a, a, an immensely important and difficult transition to make, as we have away from fossil fuels, you know, there, there's lots of hidden dangers on the way. And if, if we all stop, if there was no oil and gas available tomorrow, it would be a kind of monumental catastrophe and because uh, we're not ready. So that, that, that there's a whole thing about timing. How do, how do you make the move happen, but also not create a geopolitical disaster on the way to getting there? Yeah. And you know, so that actually, the we live in such a complicated world. That in a way, that is why you need markets to deal with it, and and because markets express just thousands of different viewpoints, and in the end, the right one kind of wins the day. And and actually, in some of the the, the in in that thirty percent alpha that Mark was talking about having captioned, well done for doing that. You know, that is the kind of market kind of that's the market at work. You know, it's it's it's, it's actually that that uh, I do kind of. May, you know, maybe you'll object to this, but I do kind of believe that the hidden hand of the market actually is pr is pretty productive in the long run. We, we get there. Yes, we have some horrible things happen and some mistakes and we're human, the things go wrong, but actually in the end, collectively, that collective wisdom does kind of get there. Cool, that's one for the pub. I'm not sure I agree with that, but we just haven't got time to follow that one. <laughs>